0: Welcome to the Odyssey podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, director of Odyssey. Odyssey is an intensive six-week workshop for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality and for published writers who want to improve their work. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 16 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast 51 is an excerpt from Theodora Goss's lecture at Odyssey 2011 on Finding Your Voices. The text of this recording is copyright 2011 by Theodora Goss. The sound recording is copyright 2011 by Odyssey Writing Workshop's Charitable Trust.
1: So I went back to this whole Theodora Goss story thing and I said, what is a Theodora Goss story? How does Theodora Goss, which felt very awkward because I was talking about myself in the third person, how does Theodora Goss, that strange girl, write a John Carter story? And I thought, you know, one thing I do is I tend to write stories in which I give voices to people who have no voice or to characters who have no voice. And who doesn't get to speak in the John Carter stories? Well, one person, one thing, one thing that doesn't get to speak in the John Carter stories is Woola, the dog, otherwise known as a callet on Mars. If you're on Mars, you have a callet, and it has like ten legs or something, and it's green and big. And John Carter has this dog, callet, And the dog never gets to speak, even though everyone on Mars is telepathic, right? And I thought, what's Woola's story? And so I wrote a story called Woola's Song, which is going to be in the anthology, and it's John Carter's world from the perspective of the dog. So think about, when you're thinking about voices in your stories, think about who gets to speak, whose perspective you want to speak from, because especially... As writers of fantastical literature, you can speak from a lot of different perspectives, the perspectives of people and things who don't usually get their own voices. You can be really innovative, right? And I brought in an example, and this is from another Ursula Guin story, and this is called Direction of the Road. And what I'll do is I'll read this to you, and I want you to tell me whose voice this is from. They did not used to be so demanding. They never hurried us into anything more than a gallop, and that was rare. Most of the time it was just a jig-jog foot pace. And when one of them was on his own feet, it was a real pleasure to approach him. There was time to accomplish the entire act with style. There he'd be, working his legs and arms the way they do, usually looking at the road, but often aside side of the fields, or straight at me. And I'd approach him steadily, but quite slowly, growing larger all the time, synchronizing the rate of approach and the rate of growth perfectly. So that at the very moment that I'd finished enlarging from a tiny speck to my full size—sixty feet in those days—I was abreast of him and hung above him, loomed, towered, overshadowed him. Yet he would show no fear. Not even the children were afraid of me, though often they kept their eyes on me as I passed by and started to diminish. Sometimes on a hot afternoon one of the adults would stop me right there at our meeting place and lie down with his back against mine for an hour or more. I didn't mind in the least. I have an excellent hill, good sun, good wind, good view. Why should I mind standing still for an hour or an afternoon? It's only a relative stillness, after all. One need only look at the sun to realize how fast one is going, and then one grows continually, especially in summer. In any case, I was touched by the way they would entrust themselves to me, letting me lean against their warm little backs and falling sound asleep there between my feet. I like them. They have seldom lent us grace, as do the birds. But I really prefer them to the squirrels. Who's talking? The tree. It's a tree, right? It's the tree. Why is she writing from the perspective of a tree? She doesn't tell you until close to the end of the story. What is the tree doing, growing and diminishing?
0: They're coming closer and going further away.
1: And how does the tree experience that?
0: As it's going past.
1: Yeah, so the tree is having a completely different experience of the world. The tree experiences the world as constant movement. So she's totally, totally in the perspective of the tree. What kind of, what kind of story could a tree tell? What kind of story could you tell from the perspective of a tree? Change over
0: time, warming time. A tree
1: time. Something to do with environmental change. Something to do with environmental change. All of those things would be natural for a tree. Go out and find this story, but, but I'll tell you what it's about. It, it's what happens to this tree is that life speeds up, right? And it starts complaining about the speed of life because now it can't grow gradually and diminish. There are motor cars coming. And it sort of has to be doing this perspective thing all the time. But what happens to the tree is that a driver crashes into it. And for that instant that the driver is there... The, the instant of the driver's death, it looks at the tree, and it confuses that tree with eternity, and it fixes it. And in the end, the tree's complaining. It says, I am not death. He saw me as death, and I am not death. I am mortal. I am alive. And that's what I object to. I object to being fixed as this deadly thing. And that's, it's, it's totally the tree speaking, right? It's from that perspective. Okay. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you something fairly complicated and I'm not going to give you very long to do it. Back in those groups that you were in, I want you to write not something quite as long as these excerpts, maybe about half the length, but I want you to think about what kind of voice you want to adopt, deliberately adopt a voice, and write out of that voice the beginning of a novel. It can be anything. I mean, you can, like The Hobbit, you can just describe something, right? It doesn't need to be super elaborate, but think about using a particular voice deliberately and writing out of that voice. And I want you to do it in a group so you're all working together to produce one thing.
0: All right. Time.
1: Group number one. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say what you were going for in terms of voice, and then I want you to read whatever you've got, however far you've gotten.
0: We were going for something influenced by things said in this room to a certain extent, like a fantastical I felt Mortimer open, my prison was illuminated, and I knew my peace had been shattered again. I had slumbered long and peacefully, no one jostling me, no one pushing my peers against me, no ediferous fleshy limbs kicking my legs, and yet, and yet, there they came once again, pressing through Mortimer, rumbling the floorboards beneath me, before their sharp, bony midlimbs pressed down upon the flat of my upper surface, they jeer and laugh and cobort around the room. I already long for the lunch break.
1: Is it yeah. something Should in it this room? Is it the desk? Yeah, the desk? Yeah, Very cool. You're like, what would a desk think? Which is very, very cool. Good. So what were you going for in outdoor terms outdoor. of voice? What What were you trying for? What kind of voice does the desk have?
0: I would say it would be, we, we try to find words that sounded that someone writing fantasy might go yeah. for and that will maybe a little bit too much like a difference i think it's a
1: pompous. i, I was yeah. thinking of him as,
0: as having been in this classroom so long that he's gained pretensions <laughs> because we were talking about the difference yeah we're so talking good. about the difference what if he was in kindergarten or in the english lit room where would you end
1: up so you got in the desk's head yeah. very nice all right second group so we wrote in a we're parodying an author but i won't say the hallways of the ship were long gray the earth through the window was brown and blue and green and white leaned against the window and smoked a smear. The woman <laughs> sat at a table opposite to them. A waiter came by, He stopped and ordered a drink. Do you want something? No. You know this is all your fault, he said. She got up and walked away. Science fiction Hemingway. Very, very good. All right, their group. I am drawn from my cave. The electricity of his hand pulses through me, awakening my hunger. He thrusts me into it, the warmth, the wetness, the rich crimson of saturation of salt and copper. For one
0: moment I feast before sated, he withdraws me. Drops of richness slide off my body. Again, again, I want
1: to do it again. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of voice were you going for?
0: Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and his fraternity. So what are you writing? Can I get the first one? What perspective? i drawn from my cave. Oh, there you go. It's a sword. No. No. I it was
1: very ah, 90 90. very interesting. All right, good. Last group.
0: Yeah, we each
1: got a sinister <laughs> Okay, <laughs> let's hear it. Chills are punctuated by drip, drip, and an endless rhythm that echoes in my cavernous death. I felt them inside me again. <laughs> 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 the tickle of their
0: footfalls, the echo of their voices, fearful, cautious. Endless echoes, the constant drip, the whistling howl of my breath, combining in an endless symphony.
1: Warmth bloomed in the center of my belly. Unwanted heat rose to brush the dampness from my ceiling, freezing my stalactite children in their eternal quest to grow, shriveling their potential. Very nice. So you guys were writing from the perspective of? A cave. Stalactite yeah. children, yeah, yeah. right? People lighting a fire for the first time
0: in a cave. So the cave's perspective. <laughs> what
1: voice were you going for? Slow. Rhythmic. rhythmic. Yeah,
0: rhythmic, repetitious.
1: Poetic. The way a cave might speak, yeah. Can I make a comment on this exercise? Because the story you gave us right before was Le Guin's, which is way more about POV than voice, we all were doing POV as the exercise. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it made it really hard to focus on voice when you had just planted POV of a strange thing in our head. (laughs) I noticed that you all chose to do that. And I was going to ask, why, why do you think you all chose to do that? Was it just that that was the most recent thing that had happened, or was it something else?
0: I always consider POV to figure out words. I can't figure out how a character thinks, and I can't figure out how they speak.
1: And you kind of have to, right? And that's one of those choices that you make at the beginning, right? (laughs) Whose point of view and what does it sound like? What does that point of view sound like? So I think you're absolutely right that they're intertwined in that way. So all of these things that we've been talking about are all, in some sense, integrated, right? There are a couple of things. I'm going to conclude with a couple of things. When you think about voice, there are a couple (coughs) of things to think about going for. The first is density, which means that when you're writing, your sentences need to multitask. And one of the differences between manuscripts that you get from authors who are starting out and manuscripts you're getting from professional authors is that the manuscripts from professional authors are much more dense. All of their sentences are doing a lot more work, right? There's a way that you can increase the density of your writing, you can work on the density of your writing, which is to write a paragraph as an exercise and then go through and ask yourself, what are these sentences doing? Is each sentence doing at least two things? Is it advancing plot? Is it showing a character? Does it have an interesting style? What's going on in these sentences in my story, and can I make it denser by making sure that each sentence is actually doing more work? So think about density. Think about authenticity, the authenticity of your voice. Unless you're deliberately writing parody, your voice should not be sounding like the parody of anything, right? This often comes into play in, when people are trying to do like historical fiction of one sort or another. Um, I've <coughs> never yet read a really good, satisfying example of somebody trying to do pseudo 19th century fiction. Maybe that's because that's the literature that I study, but it never sounds authentic to me. It sounds much more authentic often when you're going with a fairly modern style that feels more comfortable, that doesn't feel like you're trying to write like George Eliot or Jane Austen, and you're putting in elements from that era. It ends up sounding more real, but you're going for a style that feels right, that is coming out of you, that sounds authentic, not like you're imitating somebody else, and the reader can tell. So don't try to write like something you're not. Make sure that the style, make sure that the voice is really coming out of you. And the last one is authority. Your voice needs to have density, authenticity, and authority. And by authority, what I mean is that The reader should feel comfortable with your voice. The reader should trust you. And there's one thing that the reader needs to trust you to do. You can do anything in your books. You can kill off all your characters, as Shakespeare regularly does. You can destroy the world in your books. But there's something that you can never do, and that is throw the reader out of the book. The reader has to trust that he or she is not going to be thrown out of a book. We talk about suspension of disbelief, and I think that that's not a very good way to describe it because the reader is not suspending disbelief. What the reader is doing is believing in your world. Tolkien talks about the work of the literary work as a kind of secondary creation. You're creating your mini world within the larger world that we live in. And while the reader is in that world, the reader believes in that world. And you don't want anything in your story to jar, you don't want anything in that story to make the reader go, oh, I'm reading a story. You don't want anything to throw the reader. And one thing to think about here are your tools, your words. You don't want sentences to throw the reader out of the book. You don't want words to throw the reader out of the book. You don't want anything to jar. You don't even want punctuation to throw your reader out of the book. So know your tools well. But that's what you're going for. You're going for the reader trusting that voice and trusting you as an author to keep the reader Reading and in the story, and believe it.
0: The text of this recording is copyright 2011 by Theodora Goss. The sound recording is copyright 2011 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust.